outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today's episode is all about muzzleloader hunting and why it's such an underrated option for a lot of deer hunters. As I sit here, you know, slaving away so Steve Rinella can go on another sweet spearfishing trip somewhere tropical, you know, while I'm stuck in this Arctic wasteland that's basically Canada South, I can look a pile of hunting gear on my floor. It's an embarrassment, honestly. But tucked into all of my stuff is a gun case with a muzzleloader in it. I'm heading out very soon to tote that gun around on some public land in a part of Minnesota I almost never deer hunt. I know it's going to be quite a learning experience, which I'm excited about. But I'm also going to have quite a bit of public land to myself. Quite a bit of firepower you know, in my hands, more than I'm used to carrying anyway. Honestly, I think muzzleloader hunting is probably one of the most underrated opportunities to have a good deer hunt around and to figure out a few things about yourself. So that's what I plan to talk about right now. I don't know why you would, but if you were to ask me what I do for a living, I'd answer that I'm a writer. Now, this isn't a lie, really. For years, that's almost all I did for my job. You know, along with plenty of photography to support it. In the last decade or so, our attention spans have shrunk to the point where we have less focus than the average meth-addicted chihuahua. And that job that I miss every day morphed into something else. You know, obviously, I still write articles. And of course, I write podcasts. 
And there are a few more books in various stages of completion as well. So it's not like I'm not pounding on the keyboard. There's also a hell of a lot of hunt filming too, which is not something I actively chased in my career. It just sort of came on a little more and a little more and a little more, like eating a couple of Twinkies every night, not really exercising. And then suddenly one day you catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror in just the right light and you realize that you're not quite as sexy as you used to be. The thing about me personally when it comes to filming hunts is that I don't think of myself as a TV guy. In fact, my first reaction when someone mentions a TV hunter is not a positive one. It gives me a little bit of the feeling I had recently while walking to a stand in northern Wisconsin in the dark and stepping in a giant pile of fresh bear shit and just knowing that's what happened even though I couldn't see it. If you're wondering... If we finally have the answer to the old adage about whether Yogi drops a dooski in the woods or not, the answer is embedded in the tread of my knee-high lacrosse boots. The problem with thinking this way is that, well, I am a TV guy. It's a bummer, I know. No one is more upset about that than me, trust me. But I just don't think of myself this way. I also don't think of myself as a gun hunter when it comes to big game. The odds of catching me out in the field with a high-powered rifle are almost zero in any given year. In fact, I haven't carried a rifle to hunt big game in like eight years, and in total have maybe done that like four seasons in my life. It's just not my jam. I'm, you know, a bow hunter through and through, except that's just what I think about myself as. I actually love to muzzleloader hunt, and even though I took a few years off to mostly chase pheasants, I've rediscovered my love of muzzleloader hunting. Last year, on the last weekend of the season in Minnesota, I filled my buck tag with one. And I'll tell you what, Bobby, it was freaking awesome to sit in a ladder stand overlooking a small cattail slough, an island of cedars, and a corner of a picked bean field while being able to reach out and shoot in any direction for quite a ways. It was pretty dang fun. To not have to pick the spot on the spot where a buck might go through the cattails or the trail he might use to get into the beans, was just kind of a relief. I had the opportunity to stay back, observe, and still be actively in the game when deer showed up a football field away. I enjoyed it. The thing about this is, that style of hunting is like a hybrid hunt between a rifle hunt and a bow hunt. It's a happy medium, and it meant that I could get away with hunting some spots that I just wouldn't be able to hunt with a bow but I didn't need to do it during a season when there were half a million people out. I had the woods mostly to myself. So by the time you're listening to this, I will have spent some time on that public land in Minnesota that I'm going to muzzleloader hunt. I haven't convinced myself to bow hunt there with any real effort yet because I don't have a real strong grasp on how the deer use that type of terrain. Well, I kind of do, but I also know that bow hunting them in sloughs and in prairie grass is a different beast altogether. One that I'm just not that confident in, honestly. This is where my full-on endorsement of muzzleloader hunting comes into play. Having a weapon that can reach out to my max, which is 150 yards, opens up a new world to me. Instead of going into an environment that will undoubtedly kick my ass if I carry a bow, I can go take the easier route and use a muzzleloader. The deer are fresh out of a general gun season, so they aren't going to be easy but they should be somewhat visible because I have a weapon that allows me to shoot farther. I can use that to learn how they get into the sloughs and out of them, how they travel the land at first and last light, and hopefully run into a decent buck at some point. And I can't wait. 
And it's not just because it feels good to carry a scoped gun around after a whole season of toting a bow. It's because muzzleloader season is an opportunity to try some new things and learn a little bit about the deer and still have a chance to kill one. Now, why is that important? Well, every season I come to a few separate realizations a little bit more. The first stems from how many people send me emails about how they can't kill big bucks on a specific property. It's often accompanied by a very long paragraph-free email and a screenshot of a piece of ground that is covered in waypoints. And their hope is that I'll magically be able to point them to the tree where the big guy is going to walk. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. The truth is that you either need an unbelievable property so your chances will just happen and eventually you'll get it right, or more likely, you just have to get better at deer hunting in a significant way. Honestly, most of the folks I hear from would benefit greatly from just lowering their standards and learning how to deer hunt from A to Z. But most people don't want to hear that. They want big bucks. They just don't understand what that actually entails. The other realization is that we have been spoon-fed a whole bunch of bullshit from the hunting industry that has trickled down into the general deer hunting population and made a mess of this whole thing. If you look at most of the voices in the whitetail space, they have worked their way into a situation where they have relatively easy hunting, even for really big deer. Whitetails are not hard to hack. And if you have the means to control even a marginally sized chunk of ground, the blueprint is pretty much always the same. Put in some food, work on the cover, and leave it alone till the deer think they are safe. I have a couple of good buddies who now have properties like this. They have food plots and box blinds and bulldozer dug ponds, and their hunting is really about timing more than anything. They don't need to actually scout these properties. They can just run a few cameras and wait until the movement is right. They also don't seem to be having as much fun as you'd expect. When you walk out to the redneck over and over to sit over a beautiful patch of clover that you know the deer are going to come to, that's great. Go nuts for donuts. But over time, that's not that exciting for a lot of people. Easy doesn't make you good and often isn't that rewarding. For some, that doesn't matter and that's great. But for a lot of us, it's a goal we actually don't want to achieve. Or let me put this another way. Would you rather have really easy hunting for the rest of your life or would you rather get really good at hunting? There is no wrong answer. But if you're listening to this podcast, I have a sneaking suspicion what you probably want the thing is, we don't know how to get better. We don't know how to weather several seasons in a row where it feels like we aren't getting better. The whole thing can get real frustrating in a hurry. This is why I'm such an advocate for hunting with lower standards until you get a hell of a lot of experience under your belt. It's why I think learning all parts of the hunt, from scouting to killing to butchering, is important. It's why I think you should find new ways to hunt new places and get outside of your comfort zone. I honestly think the worst thing to happen to most of us is to decide that we have one place to hunt and that's it. As soon as you commit yourself to just one property, then you're limiting your growth as a hunter. Now you might get really good at that property, but eventually that might not be enough to keep your cup full. So where am I going with this? Right, muzzleloader hunting. When I first started muzzleloader hunting, I realized it was, you know, bow hunting adjacent, but definitely easier. It gave me the chance to try new things, like tracking deer in the fresh snow. I'd have never, ever done that with a bow, at least not successfully, but I did it with an open-sided muzzleloader on a monster doe, and it's one of my favorite hunting memories. Even on properties I think I know really well, 
the difference between bow hunting before the general gun season and muzzleloader hunting after is pretty big. I have to start fresh, and there's no way around that. It's all about fresh sign, understanding where the deer hold up, and observation. It's a blank slate every season, and it's a low participation hunt in most places. That means you have the advantage of the gun while mostly just working against the deer and not a lot of other hunters. There's a whole lot of education that can be packed into that scenario. There's an opportunity to break away from your comfort zone. You know the stands you always sit or the access routes you always take, and you need to try something different. This is your chance. You can still hunt or stalk or just set up to observe while having a real chance to kill. You don't have to be in a tree and can work on your natural ground blind game. Now, we should do this with bows too, but we mostly don't. We need an excuse to do something we wouldn't normally do. This is why I like to travel to new states and hunt public land that I've never seen before. I like the feeling of just going to hunt deer and not being worried about a certain size of buck. It helps me enjoy the process because it's a low-stress way to learn about deer and how to hunt them. A lot of us are missing that opportunity. I know you might be thinking that you can't travel all over and hunt every week in a new state, which is totally valid. But I'll bet you could hunt your home turf in a new way. I'll bet if you burn yourself out bow hunting, you could find a way to have a hell of a lot of fun with a muzzleloader if your state has a decent season. It's worth a shot because most states have a general muzzleloader season after their rifle or shotgun season. What that means is that you're going to go out after deer that have been hunted real hard and they have moved into places where the general gun crowd probably didn't go. There's a lesson on how deer react to real pressure built into most muzzleloader seasons. And if you want to get better at being a deer hunter, no matter what weapon you choose to carry, learning how whitetails react to pressure is like half of the battle. We often think it's about figuring out the food they are on or where they like to bed to catch the thermals. But for most of us, the really important thing is to understand how deer do the things they do to avoid us. Hunting pressure from a huge shotgun hunting party or just yourself as you sneak into the woods over and over is going to be a major factor in everything the local deer do. There is no motivating force quite like staying alive. Hunger and thirst are a distant second because they're going to find a way to take care of those. You know, and while making new deer can top the survival instincts from time to time, it mostly doesn't. There's another thing to consider when it comes to whether you want to go through the hassle of buying a muzzleloader and then sighting in. And trust me on this, learning how to clean it properly. It's that, how serious do you take bow hunting after the general gun season? I know that my drive to get out there diminishes in a major way. Knowing that maybe 20% of the deer are now dead and that the rest are going to be super cagey doesn't make me as excited to get out there as I am before the gun season. I mostly wouldn't hunt right after the gun season if I'm being honest. The advantage of a muzzleloader and the freedom it offers when compared to archery tackle provides a convincing enough argument to keep going. It is just persuasive enough to get me out there in the woods when I'd mostly rather be pheasant hunting or doing something else. It makes the effort seem worth it because it's just enough an advantage to make the whole thing seem possible again. This gets even sweeter if you have a doe tag and a little corner of your chest freezer still empty enough to fit some packages of venison in it. I guess this is a good place to tie a bow on the whole thing. 
I know on average, most of you probably aren't interested in muzzleloader hunting. That's fine. You don't have to go. What the real lesson here is, is find a way to go hunting. Find a way to keep motivated to hunt when it seems mostly like a lost cause. Give yourself a reason to be out there. Try to understand why you don't want to go right now or why you won't want to go in the near future and mitigate those feelings by giving yourself a reason. It might just be as simple as wanting one more deer to eat, or it might be that you want to hunt a side of your home state you've never really hunted deer at, and you're excited at the prospect of leaving the confines of the woods to be in a place with huge views and more visible deer. Maybe you're sick of getting busted drawing your bow, or in a slump where you made a bad shot or seven in a row. And it would be nice to just lay the crosshairs on a deer's shoulder as he feeds 75 yards away and dump him. Maybe you just need to shake off a rough bow season and spend some time slipping through the woods with a real advantage in your hands. You know, I thought I'd end this here, but I just realized something. I think maybe the biggest problem most of us have is we think about hunting in the wrong way. We think, I hunt here. I do this. I don't do this. And we think about a whole bunch of stuff that we're sure will happen one way or another. But you don't have to hunt there or do that or not do that. And, you know, a bunch of stuff that you're sure always happens is probably absolutely not true. If you break a few of those habits, you might find a world of whitetails you've shut yourself out of just by thinking things go a certain way when they don't have to. We don't only have to hunt differently from our competition. We have to try to hunt differently from ourselves, at least if we want to get better at this stuff. So for me, that means taking a muzzleloader out and trying to find a deer in an unfamiliar environment. But what does it mean for you? Ask yourself that. Answer it. And then go do it, my friends. And come back next week, because I'm going to talk about deer densities and how they should shape our strategies and hunting styles. That's it for this week. I'm Tony Peterson. This has been the Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. As always, thank you so much for listening and for all of your support. Everybody here at Meat Eater truly appreciates it, so thank you for that. If you want some more whitetail content, some more podcasts, some more articles, some more video series, whatever, head on over to TheMeatEater.com and you will find so much stuff to keep you entertained while you're sitting at work or sitting at home wishing it was, uh, I don't know, spring fishing season or something. Anyway... If you're bored and you want to get a little bit better at hunting and entertain yourself and educate yourself, TheMeatEater.com is the place to go. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules 
from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.